2: i might have heard tell that in the political realm, this is one of the most wonderful time of the year for commentators and political people and election data nerds and all these sorts of people. Now, I'm not talking about Halloween or even Christmas coming up. I'm talking about redistricting season. Yes, they get very excited over redistricting, redrawing the lines and the maps and the sections that make our representational government work because it decides who is represented by who and where and how many people and all these sorts of things. Now, the problem with representational government, though, is we get so caught up in the stats and the maps and the machinations of redistricting, and redistricting for one person is another person's gerrymandering, and the party in power usually has more influence, so they're trying to perpetuate their power, and the party that's out of power is complaining about that, and on and on it goes in a nice, big, vicious cycle. But what are we actually talking about? Well, redistricting and representational government, we're talking about people, and these people need to be well-represented no matter what their politics or ideology are because in America, to have a representational system, everybody needs to be represented to the best of our ability to do so. Now, it's never going to be perfect. Part of the reason redistricting is such a hot topic is because no matter what you do, no but not everybody's going to be happy with it. But that's not a bad thing at all. This is a good place where we need to compromise. Everybody's got to give a little bit to get a little bit. And we've learned people that aren't represented well and don't have effective government, they can go to some really dark places out of anger and frustration. So it's incumbent upon us to make sure the representative part of our representative government is in good shape. And it usually isn't. So what do we do with this? Well, we're going to reach out to a friend of ours. We're going to do a little putting our money where our mouth is on this episode of Herd Tell. Uh, Delegate Kayla Young, she's a sitting delegate for the 35th District in the state of West Virginia, She is probably the most progressive office holder in the state of West Virginia. Now, I don't agree with Kayla on a lot of issues, but we have a shared love of our home state. She's knee-deep in this redistricting thing, and she has a lot of integrity on this subject because she's actually proposing that in West Virginia, which is not only losing a congressional district and has to redistrict that, but is also completely changing how the House of Delegates works as well. They're going to 100 delegates, single-member delegate districts from multi-member districts like Kaylee Young is in right now. And that's actually against her own interests because she's basically going to get her district drawn out from underneath her and is going to have to run for re-election in a new area. But she says this is what's best for the people. We're going to try to find some common ground on such a hot issue like redistricting by keeping the focus not on the lines and the stats or on the politics, but on the fact that these are people that deserve to be represented. We're also going to talk about running for office. We're always uh, advocating for folks to run for office, to go to meetings, to go to your commissions and your school boards and things like that. Kayla went and did it. She uh, was working in the legislature on the advocacy and lobbying side, ran for office, and she won. And we need to hear that story because it's important for people to know that they can run and they can win and they can be a part of the political process. We'll also talk about our shared love of the state of West Virginia. Been in the news a lot and To be honest, I just want to talk about West Virginia that doesn't involve our senator that's sitting in Washington that's dominating the news and media and political press right now. There's so much more to the state than just Joe Manchin, and we may touch on him a little bit in this, but mostly the state of West Virginia has a lot going on, the redistricting, the massive loss of population. But what about people like Delegate Young, who came back, ran small businesses, and encourages other people to come back as well? We're going to talk about them. We're going to get below the stereotypes. We're going to get past the noise of redistricting, turn it down, talk to somebody that's actually in the process of doing it, and Delegate Kayla Young. Talk about all that today on this edition of Her Tell, right after this. I'm excited for this one because I get to talk about my favorite subject, West Virginia, along with somebody who's really passionate about it. Uh, and I have to call her the Honorable Kayla Young because she is a sitting <laughs> member of the House of Delegates from the 35th District. Kayla, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm good. How are you this morning?
2: Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Anything that I get to talk about West Virginia without talking about the politics in Washington at the moment, I'm all about it. <laughs> um, but let's just start right there. How does the Egg truck, food truck, tattooed Kayla Young wind up in the House of Delegates because I, I we always advocate people like you know go to your meetings, go to your school board meetings, go to your county commission meetings, go run for office yourself. You went and did it, and that's part of where we kind of started to find out about you and and earned a lot of respect from your constituents and from me. So how how did that happen? Because that's an amazing story that I think folks ought to hear.
1: Yeah, so I've always been involved in my community. Um, I am a small business owner. I have started a couple businesses and they've come and gone. I got really interested in politics when Trump was elected, I guess. Um, so I have a bachelor's degree in political science, so I've always been interested in it and um, I got really interested. When I took a class in college and I read a book about Aaron Burr, oddly enough, this was in like 2008 maybe, and I'm kind of young, so kind of, I guess, I don't know. My kids tell me I'm old, but whatever. (laughs) I got the same problem, don't worry. They asked me the other day if life was black and white when I was growing up. Like, it wasn't in color, and I was like, oh, God. Oh, my Lord. I know, it was rude. And so, yeah, I got interested in politics, I really I have always loved it and then I realized I had to get involved when Trump was elected and there was also an incident in here in Charleston West Virginia where it was in 2014 that kind of piqued my interest we had a water crisis where we weren't allowed to drink tap water for a month and that got a lot of us motivated and then I kind of I had a one week old baby at the time, so I kind of settled down. And then when Trump was elected, I realized I couldn't settle down anymore because I have two small kids and that's not a world I wanted them living in. And so I got mobilized. I started um, doing some advocacy work and around things that mattered to me. Most of them were around um, equity and inclusion, specifically for women. And then I started lobbying professionally in 2019 for the environment here in West Virginia, which um, oddly enough, the environment doesn't have as many friends as it needs in West Virginia. So that was an uphill battle. We lost a lot for a couple years. And then I decided I was sick of sitting next to the lawmakers and trying to get them to do what I wanted them to do. So I ran for office and I was elected. I won and I was elected in November of 2020 and I'm currently serving my first term.
2: And we'll talk about the environment and that 2014 spill along the Elk River, which is, I look, I, until I was 12 years old, I lived in a double wide on the embankment right above the Elk River in Frametown, West Virginia. So I'd been in it, swam in it, boated on it. Mm-hmm. That That's where I grew up a lot. So we'll get to that, too. But talk about for a second, because your district, the 35th District, one, one thing you did that um, earned my respect when I first started following you, uh, you were on CHS, which is the main talk radio station for West Virginia. Uh, and you were on and they ask you about your district. You're running for office. You're not elected yet. And mm-hmm. you just rattled off the top of your head. Uh, the district, you laid it out as if you were almost like walking it and you talked about this district. This is a large district. This would be the sixth biggest county in the state if it was a county by itself. It's a large district. Mm-hmm. But when we're going to talk about things like redistricting, both at the congressional level and at the House and Delegates level, I think people lose, and you you brought this to light in your campaign, and I appreciated it. These aren't stats and numbers and lines on a map. These are people, and that was something that came through when you talked about your district because this is actually your home district. You left and came back to it, but I think we're losing in the conversation that these districts are people and representative of people, and that's kind of getting lost in the conversation a little bit.
1: Oh, absolutely. And my district right now, like you said, it's gigantic. There's, uh, I represent 75,000 people, which for West Virginia is a lot. Yeah, and, people are going um, to be like,
2: oh, 75,000. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a big chunk where we're from.
1: It is. Yeah. So I live in the most populated county, Kanawha County, and um, we're one of the biggest. And uh, we have Charleston, the capital of, of the state. And so my district is a multi-member district. So there's four of us elected in that position right now we have two republicans and two democrats and it's been pretty split for a couple terms now but um yeah it's a very broad district we have probably the wealthiest neighborhood one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in the state with really great school districts and then we also go out to st albans west virginia that's a much more rural, Tornado, West Virginia. Then we have Dunbar and Institute. Dunbar's uh, municipality and institute is unincorporated, and it houses um, our land-grant university, West Virginia State, which is an HBCU. And so the district's very, very diverse as as of now. It's getting all chopped up, and uh, that just happened last week with redistricting. But currently, my district is really big, and it's really diverse. And I like that, but I do find that maybe not everybody's getting um, accurate representation.
2: And that's the thing that really hit me, because uh, let's start with the congressional level. We saw the maps for the first time, I guess, about two weeks ago. Um, West Virginia has gone from three uh, down to two congressional districts. We saw the map for the first time without the third congressional district on it. That's my home district. That's where most of my family lives, coming from the southern central part of the state. It was jarring. It hurt. It sucked. No matter how many times we hear about the demographics and the population loss, and you know I've wrote about it for years now, physically seeing it on the map that, okay, it's gone now, and then you start thinking about, like you just mentioned, the Kanawha Valley, uh, Morgantown, WVU, and the Eastern Panhandle, which is the D.C. exurbs. Those are the population centers, and it sure feels like the big center of the state and the southern West Virginia and the northern part, it's just getting hollowed out, not only demographically, but representation-wise to a lot of these folks. And now I'm kind of one of them, even though I'm back and forth a little bit, but it sure feels like representation is getting less, and then when you see it on a map, it really slams it home.
1: Yeah, it's tough. Um, so we, yeah, we went from three to two, and it's because West Virginia is the only state that lost population in the past 10 years. Um, and so they had to cut out one of our people. I'm hoping it's Mooney that gets cut out, but we'll see. But uh, it's it's hard to draw one line because our state is very, very different, like you just said. Um, we know whoever gets the eastern panhandle, it that's where the power is going to be because that's the – Part of the state that's growing the quickest so nobody really wanted to be with them and no offense to them but you know everybody wants power where they are and so we saw so many different maps i saw one that had the northern panhandle and then morgantown where wbu is located and then it had charleston all in one district and then it had the rest of the state in the other district well then you have the people saying they want charleston and Huntington together and there's honestly just no good way to cut to draw one line and make everybody happy. So I think what we ended up with is okay, but it's never great.
2: And on top of this, uh, talking redistricting because redistricting is a tough topic because one person's redistricting is another person's gerrymandering, and it's it's a mm-hmm. it's it's a nobody nobody's ever fully happy, but it can get to really really bad in a big hurry if you don't put proper effort and due diligence in it. West Virginia is not only changing its congressional districting, it's also changed how it's done its House of Delegates. Now, this affects you directly, of course, mm-hmm. but this is a sea change in how folks are going to be represented in the state. And when you part in with the con- almost everybody's congressional representation changing, uh, the House of Delegates is even more important because now these are the people they should be able to get more access on, even if they get behind with the congressional delegation. This is more—this is— like redistricting plus plus for folks on the local level with their delegates isn't it
1: it's huge yeah it's it's absolutely huge and in west virginia we passed a law in 2018 that took us from multi-member districts so i think right now we have right now in west virginia we have 67 districts and i think about half of them are multi-member i don't know the exact number but some have some have one some have two some have three up to five the biggest one's five that's in morgantown And I'm in the second biggest one that has four, and we are going to single-member districts. So you're only going to have one representative. So we're going to have 100 single-member districts. I do support single-member districts because I think it's a chance to elect somebody from your neighborhood. But the problem is is that when they drew the lines, they they, they cut up all the neighborhoods. They cut up all the neighborhoods to ensure that that the supermajority would stay in power for the next decade. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. This is the first time we've ever had a Republican supermajority and um, they're really putting it to use. So we're going to see how it pans out in the next election, but it definitely did affect me personally because I pretty much got drawn out of a district.
2: When they were drawing this up, the State Council for House Speaker Greer stated it this way. He said there are different standards when it comes to drawing state and local districts. I'm quoting him here. Jurisdictions are allowed to deviate somewhat from perfect population equality to accommodate traditional districting objectives. Among them, you just mentioned it, preserving the integrity of political subdivisions, maintaining communities of interest, and creating geographic compactness. That's a quote from him. I, when you start talking neighborhoods and folks that don't understand in West Virginia, neighborhoods aren't city blocks. Neighborhoods are valleys. They're our haulers, we're always talking about. They can be like your district. There's one side of the river and then there's the other side of the river. Mm-hmm. Those aren't neighborhoods because you got to go to the other side of the river. There, there's. These things are not always under real strict lines. So in your opinion, and I know some of it's done now, but when we talk about maintaining integrity, not just a number or a stat of the people, what are some of the things we're looking for? Because like you said, the culture is very different in a place like West Virginia.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, in the new districts, the high school that I went to is split into two different districts. The high school itself is on the line and It's split up. Uh, There's a shopping center that's also split up in the same neighborhood, two different districts. And uh, also the community I mentioned, Dunbar and Institute, I had an amendment on the floor because I was frustrated that they were splitting up Dunbar and Institute. It's a community of interest, it's a neighborhood, it's a municipality and an unincorporated area, but it's all, they're all one neighborhood for all intents and purposes. And it's also, Dunbar Institute have one of the largest black populations in West Virginia. You know, the the state average, I think, is three percent black for population for the state. And in Dunbar Institute, it's like fifty five percent. I would absolutely call that a community of interest. And instead of keeping those voters together so they can elect someone from their neighborhood, they split it three ways and they put them all in three very different districts with people that don't align with their values at all so i'm not happy with with what happened to Kanawha county where i live um, in terms of redistricting
2: and institute of course is home of west virginia state which Mm -hmm. is a historically black uh, college and university Um, across across the street and then up the hill you have the State Police Academy. It's an interesting area, and it seems like one of those places you wouldn't want to divide up, and yet that seems almost like one of the ones that got targeted, for lack of a That might be too harsh of a term, but it's like, well, we have these whole swaths of the state where we're just going to lump them in with everybody, but we can get down to street-by-street specificity with something like that. Just on the optics of it, it doesn't look good to me.
1: No, it doesn't look good at all. And I mean, they claim they didn't use partisan data. Partisan gerrymandering is legal, um, which is something we can hopefully fix at the federal level soon. But uh, it is legal, but they said they didn't use partisan data. And and those neighborhoods are some of the bluest precincts in, in the state. And so they definitely targeted them for that reason.
2: Yep. And to be clear, you are a sitting Democrat. I am. Uh, they, uh, West Virginia has been in the news because of its shift to red since 2016. Uh, Donald Trump had his largest margin of victory in the state of West Virginia. So nationally, they West Virginia has gotten this reputation as being a very deep red state, but... You and I are both native West Virginians. The West Virginia we grew up in was the opposite. It was a deep blue state, mm-hmm. um, which was not that long ago. Um, this is a recent trend. You're in a, for lack of a better term, you're in a super minority as a yeah. sitting Democrat. You got elected in a year where Republicans gained 18 seats in the House of Delegates, and yet you were one of the ones that won as a Democrat. Uh, what What is that like? Because you're you're kind of you're that speck of blue in the sea of red that folks sometimes key on. But practically speaking, what's that like for you?
1: It's interesting. And we definitely did grow up in a West Virginia that was very, very blue, if you look at it on paper. But I will say that those Democrats are um, the Democrats of West Virginia's past and a lot of the Democrats of West Virginia's present are are not your progressive uh Bernie Sanders types they are your um Joe Manchin centrist types the party has changed significantly and gotten a lot lefter um more recently and West Virginia just hasn't really gone that way which i think is part of a lot of national people's problem with Joe Manchin is they're expecting him to get lefter yes. and he just kind of stays where he is um, for me personally, though, I I do consider myself to be very, very progressive. Um, I would say I'm probably one of the most progressive people in the legislature. And it has been interesting, but I've also been able to get a lot done in my first session. Um, as a freshman, I think I had four or five bills that I sponsored uh, pass. And then I had a couple other that I co-sponsored and wasn't able to lead sponsor that that I claim as a victory, too. So even though people see West Virginia as very, very deep red, there are a lot of progressive people here, and we are able to to get things accomplished.
2: What? Where do you draw the line? Because obviously, when you're in a super minority, there's going to be a lot of protest votes because you just don't have the numbers. You know, math, math is still math. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, just because I follow you and I, I've gotten to know you a little bit, mm-hmm. Uh, You don't really want to do performative either, and a lot of stuff, uh, some of our progressive friends kind of fall down that rabbit hole of of you just do too much performative and then folks don't take you seriously. So where do you draw the line of, okay, I I need to protest on certain things just to, to tell people I believe otherwise, but then you, like you said, you have been able to get some stuff done when you're working in the minority. People just online or whatever, they just talk about the partisan divide. How do you actually approach that? Like, okay, on these issues, these issues, I've got some hard lines, but I can get this done and I can get this done. And you are moving legislation, you and others, of course, I don't want to just single Mm -hmm. you out, but um, you can still get some stuff done. And there are plenty of issues that cross lines that folks don't think they do, but they do once you get them on paper and get people in a room and sit down and talk about them
1: yeah so um i think some of those things are energy related we've gotten some solar we got a big piece of solar legislation passed this past session that i worked on before i was elected we've been working on it for about four years now and uh we got that done um i'd stay away from a lot of the red meat issues um on either side because i want to get things done i i i know in a super minority that i'm not gonna get progressive uh, reproductive rights stuff done. And it, things like the Fairness Act, I while I think they're incredibly, incredibly important, um, I just don't put a lot of time into them at the present because like you said, math is math. Um, I still stand up for all of my same values and they'll never ever change, but I wanna make strides where I'm able to do so. So I, I tend to focus a little bit more my
2: energy there. You came from the uh, environmental uh, side of the advocacy world when you first got to the legislature as an advocate and as a lobbyist, and then you ran for office yourself. Mm-hmm. One thing I have trouble explaining to people um, in other places about West Virginia is when we talk about energy or the environment, you know, coal still looms large, but I keep trying to explain to them, like, it's not like the people in West Virginia don't know it's over. They they know better than anybody. They know. And, and folks... Um, I remember when you know the the famous thing in 2020 now with Hillary when she made the comment about you know putting the coal miners out of business and then she had to you know go down to the coal fields and do her do her penance and wrote a whole book and chapter in her book about it that sort of stuff like no they know like you can talk to them about these issues straight up because they know better than anybody what's going on because we're down to what 15,000 miners and only half of them are actually underground now oh we've um, got 11,000 yeah it, it, well yeah that's an old number It's even less now and it's going to be less next year and what is underground is mostly getting mechanized now and automated like, you can talk to people straightforward on these issues because they live it, they breathe it, they know it. You don't have to talk down to them about these things. Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, It's interesting. The coal conversation is always one that I'm very willing to have and I think is really interesting because nationally you get the shut down the coal mines from a lot of super environmental people. Um, and then I think the other day there was a representative and I don't even know what party or where they were from, but he said West Virginia's economy doesn't matter. And that that's why we're holding up all yeah. this stuff and like stuff like that sucks. It's, it sucks because coal is a lot more than just an industry here in West Virginia. My family were coal miners and they, you know, my grandma had a big giant chunk of coal in her front yard. And yet I'm out here, you know, lobbying and then now pushing for, um renewable energy and alternative energy that that isn't coal because the world is changing and West Virginia's got to change around it or also but um people approach it uh in a very horrible way I think from from outside of West Virginia where they just think we're backwards and it's just so much more than than just jobs, right? It's people's livelihoods. And it's also it feels like it's almost a religion at this point. But I do think we need to have those conversations. Everybody here knows that coal is not coming back. It's never going to be what it once was. And I also don't understand why we wouldn't want to move towards energies that are, are better for the environment and also better for our physical bodies. Coal is a really tough industry on people physically. And so i i just don't know why we can't see past that but it i say all that to say that um we have been making a lot of moves here statewide the coal association is not nearly as strong as it used to be we're just not moving as quickly as we need to in terms of climate change so hopefully we can get there we're working on it
2: it's not just coal of course it's all across the board when you're losing population and economic growth like West Virginia has. I know like you talked about your family, my grandfather worked at Union Alloy up the river there. Mm-hmm. You know, used to be one of the largest steel producers yeah. anywhere and it's a shell of itself now. Just things like this just economically and one of the reasons I talk about that, you know, I think the the politics in West Virginia are going to change again quickly because you know this, you've seen the numbers. You're a, you know, you you've studied politics academically before you went into them the three largest voting groups in the state of west virginia are healthcare workers government employees and pensioners and mm-hmm. those are groups that traditionally are more like you said earlier they are very friendly usually to the democratic party uh just some of the cultural stuff some of that went faster than a lot of those folks were maybe ready to go with it But I I think there's a large cultural shift underway when when demographics change that much, there's going to be a cultural shift under. And this new generation underneath that just don't have those same bugaboos that some of the older folks (laughs) that are passing off the scene now, do they? Are you finding that as you talk to people? Is there a gap between the older West Virginians and the younger ones that are coming in or staying as you go about? Do you see that generation gap in a practical way?
1: Oh, yeah, it's it's very, very different um, than everybody just being the same like they used to be. My, my biggest concern is that we everyone leaves. So many people leave because of a lack of opportunity. So um, it's not hard or it's not easy to, to be here. You know, West Virginia fights you back. And so it is a choice that people have to make, and they have to make the choice to stay and fight. And a lot of people just want to go live their life, and they don't want to do this. And I completely understand that because it's much easier. But um, there are a lot of people making the choice to stay here and build and grow. And those are the people that I really put a lot of my faith in. And I know that that even on the people, even with folks that I don't super agree with on everything, we can always find some sort of common ground. And we can always find some issue that we do see eye to eye on. So when I, when I encounter the people that... I don't agree with politically. I can still usually find something.
2: And you is one. Uh, You grew up in West Virginia. You left for a spell. Mm -hmm. Uh, You came back in 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, I is one. I joined, (laughs) you know, I was a knucklehead as a kid and didn't do well in college because I was too immature to handle it at the time and wound up unloading trucks in the middle of the night at Walmart and like, okay, I got to make a move here. And I joined the military and that, you know, no regrets at all. That worked out great for me, but it took me away. I, I think there's a future for folks, but that's what, something I wanted to ask you about. You went elsewhere. You were in California and other places. You did come back. And when we're pitching you know, younger people or professional people elsewhere to come back, you can do that yourself. So what's the pitch from your own life of this is why I came back to West Virginia because it's hard, it fights you back, but it's worth it, and here's why
1: i came back to west virginia for free child care that's and a today, darn good reason by the way i, I, mean, I do
2: that some myself
1: <laughs> you know child care costs ten thousand dollars per child per year and i was living in northern california where the cost of living is all already through the roof and um i wanted my children to grow up around my family i wanted to be closer to my family which is something i think a lot of us fight in our 20s that we couldn't imagine living where we grew up but uh i promise you it's not the same place it's west virginia as an adult and west west virginia as a child was amazing i had an excellent childhood in west virginia and as an adult i'm getting to you know build what i want here i think in west virginia uh we have a lot that we need to do but it's pretty easy to do those things Uh, i started several businesses with very very little resources or money, I, I did not grow up wealthy, I'm not wealthy now, and it's everything's within reach. If you need something, you can call the mayor, you can call the people that you need. You, It's easy to start a business, it's easy to do the thing that you wanna do, and when you do that thing, the community almost always just wraps their arms around you. I started an egg roll food business, and I, you know, what a weird thing, and the community was just so appreciative and so excited and that gave me all the encouragement that i needed to know that i was doing the right thing and so i just think for anybody who wants to create something west virginia is absolutely the place to do that and it's really cheap to live here
2: that's the thing about coming back is when when folks look at something like west virginia you started your own business. You can even get things like the House of Delegate members to come on your podcast. Mm-hmm. There's still a familiar cultural thing. Outsiders always ask me about West Virginia. It's like, what is it with you people and your pride in West Virginia? And you can't really even explain it to them. But I think you touch on it there is like this is the history of West Virginia. People came there that maybe didn't have anywhere else to go or they were just looking for a new life or they just wanted to be left alone from the wider world. That's always been the history of West Virginia. When you look at the various waves of immigration into West Virginia over the years, I see no reason that if we do some policy wise thing, there can't be another wave of that into the state going forward, isn't there?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I was at a wedding this weekend and it was, a. Uh, I I was in Asheville, North Carolina, but everybody from the wedding, the bride and the groom, and everybody was from West Virginia. And at the end of the night, you know, everybody gets in a circle and they all sing country roads. And I was yep. talking to my mom yesterday and she was like, you know, I just, she's, she's not terribly philosophical. And she was just like, You know, it just feels so good to be from West Virginia and to get to, you know, we we have so much pride and West Virginians, you know, they, they stick up for one another and they're there when somebody needs something. And no matter what your political beliefs are, when Country Roads comes on, you know, you're going to be singing with everybody else and everything else just kind of drops. So... It's it is a place where people take care of each other and there's so much pride. And I've never found that in another state. And so I always love that.
2: Yeah, I do, too. Um, We talk about big issues like the environment and politics and redistricting. The average person doesn't have a whole lot of say over those things other than their elected officials and their own advocacy. There are some specific things that West Virginia desperately needs that cut across partisan lines, that cut across uh, ideology lines, that really could help the state out. One of them is an issue you've been banging on and you really started hammering it when you went in the, the House of Delegates for the first time and when you were doing your campaign because you were campaigning during the COVID era so everything had to be online and the broadband situation in West Virginia, I don't think people understand. My, my folks live in a decent-sized small town, and they only they only got off dial-up about six years ago. Um, I was back home for a funeral this past summer, and I was talking to somebody who's a real estate developer. And he's like, you don't understand. He's like, I ha-, he wants to develop in West Virginia. He wants to grow West Virginia State. He's like, I've got a line on the map in my wall where CenturyLink starts. And he's like, yeah. we don't, he's like, we don't, wherever frontier is, we don't even bother trying to develop and or look at property because I can't sell it to anybody yeah. out of the state trying to get development. And this broadband issue is a huge issue. It got brought up when schools went virtual and you had to send, you know, school buses with Wi-Fi out to try to get kids on. This is, this is not, you know, solving climate change. This is something that should be pretty fixable if you could get people in line to do it, No.
1: I think so too. And we do have a strategy. Uh, the governor just released a strategy. The governor and I don't get along on very many things, but broadband is one of them. Um, thankfully, due to federal dollars coming down from the American Rescue Plan, which uh, Joe Manchin was the only to vote for the American Rescue Plan, who's the only member of our congressional delegation that supported it. But we're going to be getting about $4 billion to West Virginia, and we have committed to using about a billion of it for broadband. And so Hopefully in the next few years, we will have good internet. It, it is hard to get it to those people up in the hollers. Um, I mean, I live in the city, and uh, when it rains, my internet doesn't work. And so it is <laughs> totally, totally unacceptable. And so I'm hoping that's something. We just passed it this week during special session to allocate the first $100 million to Work on it. And we have a couple companies here that do broadband. They're all really terrible, whether it's Frontier or Sudden Link. So I'm hoping we can get some new companies to come in and be willing to do, to provide the service to people.
2: And to be clear for those that aren't familiar, we're not picking on Frontier. They have been sued by the state, they've been sued by the US federal government. We're we're not pulling that out of thin <laughs> air. They are truly an atrocious and horrible company that have really taken advantage of the people of West Virginia for a long, long time. I'm, yeah. We're not just making that one up. There, there's <laughs> there's citations for that one, aren't there?
1: Yeah, it's bad. It's um,
2: really, really bad. Wh- one other thing on the economy real quick. You talk about it a lot. You, you've already mentioned your background. You've ran nonprofits. You've worked in other places like California, which are heavily regulated and very expensive to live in. You talk about having a diversified economy in west virginia what do you mean by that i i know what you mean but explain that to folks because people think west virginia is like well there's nothing economically going on there and yet you have that kind of entrepreneurial spirit of yeah that means there's plenty of room for you to come in and do whatever you want
1: yeah absolutely um i mean we do need we do need a diverse economy in terms of if you work in marketing and you get a degree in marketing your options in West Virginia are pretty small. We don't have a lot of big companies here. uh, And there's a lot of reasons why we don't have a lot of big companies here. Some of them are because we don't have things like uh, non-discrimination laws passed. We don't have things allowing these companies to have access to renewable energy. Things that Fortune Fortune 500 companies want and need here. Uh, another thing is is because our state government for a long time has only really looked towards the energy sector We haven't ever branched out. We have several manufacturers here in West Virginia But we don't have enough and we don't support them like we should and so there we just have a lot of opportunity We have a lot of land. We have cities that are completely empty in West Virginia where we can move people in and start new things um, I'm su- I'm happy that we have been putting some money behind tourism, but we just don't have a very diverse economy here. There's only so many jobs you can get here. And so I think we just need to be doing everything in our power to opening it up to allowing more people to do more things here. Because, you know, unless you want to be a teacher or work in healthcare or just have some random job, there aren't a ton of career paths available. So we just are ripe for the opportunity.
2: Uh, one thing on that vein, I I found it personally embarrassing, frankly, I'll just put it that way, mm-hmm. when we had the refugee conversation back towards the end of the summer with the Afghan refugees and other people that West mm-hmm. Virginia wasn't even asked, uh, not even that we didn't qualify, they just didn't even bother checking, they didn't even ask at the federal level. What can we do? Because The history of West Virginia has always been people coming in from the outside, acclimating in and becoming West Virginians because they wanted that freedom. They wanted that lifestyle. They wanted a second chance at life, whatever the case may be. They wanted to raise their family somewhere like you did when you came back. That's a message that I think we need to be promoting, not just as a PR campaign on our advertising It should be the policy of the West Virginia state government that we are a freaking endangered species and we better start acting like it and start inviting people in. And that includes making infrastructure. And I don't mean roads and bridges. I mean, regulation wise, culturally wise, housing wise, that the fact that they wouldn't even look at the state with the biggest drop in population to try to rehouse or send immigration to or send refugees to is just astonishing. That should be unacceptable to our state government, shouldn't it?
1: I think so, yeah. Um, I sent a letter to uh, the governor and to President Biden and to the immigration offices asking for Afghan refugees to come to West Virginia because we have the space, we have the capacity, we have the resources. I I can't possibly understand why we wouldn't be considered. All of the states around us have taken in thousands, hundreds and thousands of refugees. And yeah. um, I don't know if Jim Justice told... Our governor I don't know if he told the Biden administration he didn't want it I know he wasn't actively seeking any refugees but I found it really interesting when I um, when I put that letter out it it got news and so I ended up getting a lot of phone calls a lot of emails um, about it and there were some negative ones but overwhelmingly they were incredibly positive and people were very supportive um, on both sides of the aisle so I don't I can't possibly understand why we wouldn't be pursuing that either.
2: It was so weird because the people I talked to about it is is like they they didn't ask and nobody pushed for it. It's like they just everybody just assumed and went on about their way that that, that should be unacceptable to a state that had the biggest the only loss of population in the country. Um, folks may not understand it. There's a long—if sta- you're worried about the religious aspects of it, there's a long-standing and well-established Islamic community in the valley, very well-respected, very integrated interfaith-wise, that's been there for since the 50s at least, I think. Um, there's no reason we shouldn't be opening our doors to folks. If, if we're going to have a lo- a demographic bleeding to death like we're having— it just seems to me the most natural thing in the world is, hey, we'll take anybody because anybody can be a West Virginian. Anybody can be a Mountaineer that wants to live free if, the, if we just let them come.
1: Yep. I think I so, too.
2: I don't want to get on my soapbox, but I'm passionate <laughs> about it because I love my state. My state's got problems. It's not that we don't have prejudices and things like that that we need to work on ourselves. But, man, I don't know. There's not been very many people I haven't brought home with me or have come to visit or have gone through West Virginia and not just go, wow, that place is special. Right, I agree. Um, I don't know. It just it frustrates me very much. You're an elected official now, so I can complain to you as a constituent. <laughs> it, it frustrates me because I've been around the world. I've seen I've seen some really not great places. I've seen some amazing places. I've never seen anywhere like West Virginia, and I know I'm a homer. You know, I always joke. I was like, well, I know I was almost home flying home at night because you look down and the lights stop. You know, you're about there. You know, <laughs> stuff. You know, we can joke about it and we can tell all the hillbilly jokes, but it really is a special place. And I and I get frustrated, even though you and I disagree on a lot politically. I respect the way you go at it about It's because we both understand this place is special and they deserve a lot better government and a lot better representation than they're getting because the people are special and we're having subpar government for decades and decades now
1: absolutely people deserve better but they've got to vote that way sadly
2: yeah uh kayla young i've I've enjoyed this greatly uh i could talk about a lot of other things with west virginia all day but you've got lawmaking things to do um (laughs) one quick question though because we always want to leave on a high note how do I do a good egg roll? Because I can't roll one of them things to save my life. You did that as a living. You did that as a business. You know, we do the Twitter Supper Club, which you've been slacking on, by yeah. the way. Just wanted to remind you. Um, <laughs> how, how, how do you get that egg roll nice and tight and the filling? Because my, my Filipino friends that do the lumpio, which is one of my favorite things in the whole world to eat. It's a it's a war, every country has some kind of a dumpling or egg roll type thing. I can't do it. What's the trick to it?
1: okay so for those who don't know I have an egg roll food truck called eggs will roll Um, we have been out of commission since the pandemic I don't know if we're ever gonna come back I hope so because I miss it very much but so I get an egg roll wrapper you can buy those just at the grocery store and they are vegan which is exciting and uh, open one up I do it in like a diagonal shape so not a square Uh, turn it 90 degrees or however many degrees and um, Use an egg wash so egg and water mixed up put it on all four corners put in a scoop of filling um, i don't even have an exact measurement we just kind of put it in and then uh bring the corners to the middle and then as you roll then roll from the bottom and then you kind of got to just keep it tight it's just, it takes time it takes time to learn how to get the roll right
2: <laughs> that's not the answer i was looking for but i'll try it <laughs> i'm sorry i
1: don't have good one it's just to practice
2: practice makes perfect yeah. in politics and in egg rolls so
1: and if only that were
2: true yeah the <laughs> the honorable delegate kayla young uh let folks know where they can find you on social media and elsewhere and they can be in contact with you if they are west virginians or looking to go to west virginia i'm sure you'd be happy to pitch them on it since you've actually done it uh because i nothing makes me happier and i'll talk about west virginia and somebody will send me a direct message or something be like hey, so-and-so's looking to homestead there, or so-and-so wants to go on yeah. vacation there, and I'm like, yeah, let me tell you all about So how can folks get a hold of you? We
1: love that. Um, so I am on all social networks, Kayla Young for WV. That's F-O-R spelled out. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the things. I think my website is also KaylaYoungforWV.com. And yeah, you can find more there. And I'm happy to lure everyone to West Virginia anytime. We need all the people we can get.
2: Uh, when you're campaigning somebody she's like she's a hardcore progressive why do you support her and i'm like well we've had enough lawyers maybe we should let the egg food truck girl take a shot at it and uh, see what she can do with it I'd and you've done so. well yeah yeah uh we will continue to butt heads on some things but i think <laughs> on a lot of the big things we will agree on them and i think your story is a great one for politics in general in our state in particular so thank you so much for sharing with us and i look forward to seeing what you do in the future
1: Thank you for having me. I love talking to West Virginians.
2: Yeah, I do too. We're uh, we're everywhere, aren't we? Uh, but thank Absolutely. you so much for the time, ma'am. I really appreciate it. Bye. Thomas Mann writing about redistricting said this redistricting reform cannot by itself reverse these trends towards declining electoral competition, increasing ideological polarization between the parties and smash mouth partisan manipulation of the electoral rules of the game. The country is evenly divided between the two parties. Most voters have sorted themselves into a party by their ideological views and their decisions on where to reside have prompted a geographical segregation of like-minded citizens, conservatives to the experts, liberals to the cities. Furthermore, partisan attachments powerfully shape political perceptions, beliefs, and values, and incumbents enjoy advantages well beyond the way in which their districts are configured. All those forces will continue to shape our politics, no matter what initiatives are taken, to improve the process. End quote. And the reason that is because like we said at the beginning of this conversation about redistricting and politics in general, these aren't just numbers and lines, they're people. So while we do need to talk about redistricting and representation being more fair and equitable to everybody, regardless of their party or regardless of who's in power and who's not, the key role in all of this is people. If people take the broader view, and especially our leaders take a view of trying to do the best good for the most people instead of just inferring their own power— That would be better for everybody involved. Now, we're not Pollyannish. We know that's not going to happen without a whole lot of exterior pressure. But that's where the rest of the people come in as well. We, the people, influence what they think they can get away with. And if they won't play along to the rules we give them, we should do what Kayla Young did. Run for office ourselves. Get in the arena. Get our hands dirty. And see if we can make it better on our own accord. Because after all, we get the government we deserve. And if we don't do anything to stop what the government's doing wrong, we deserve what they give us. And they'll give it to us good and hard. That's it for this edition of Herd Tell. Wherever you're getting this podcast, please continue to like and share it. If they give you the option to leave a comment, please do so. And if they have an option to give a rating, do that too. Those are really important. It only takes you a few clicks and a few moments, but it lets other people know what we're doing is important and worth checking out. We're going to keep working really hard to give you the best possible episodes here on Tell, turning down the noise on culture and politics so that we can get to the information we need to discern our time. Wherever this is finding you, we hope you and yours are well. We hope you're well fed. We hope you're happy. And until we talk to you next time on Tell, y'all take care. All the music on Heard Tell is provided under a creative content license from Monstercat.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather,
0: emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here
2: for you with professional-grade industrial supplies.